I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. Christians really do need to think more deeply about the topic of suicide, and that's what we're going to be doing today for the uh, the live stream, trying to think more deeply on the topic of suicide. Um, I'm not going to try to depress anybody here today. Um, we have joy in Christ. We have hope in Christ, and there are real answers in Christ. Um, but I want to take this complex issue that we often gloss over, in my, in my opinion. I'm not blaming you. Like, I'm not trying to accuse you of anything. I'm just saying I see it happen a lot, and I want to tackle it with more depth and look at more nuance the topic of suicide from a Christian worldview perspective, especially in light of recent events. And many of you know what I'm talking about. We've, we've had not only the general increase of suicide, but we've had in the news recently um, even pastors committing suicide. And so this is hopefully going to be helpful. I'm not going to pretend I can, I can fix things for people, but I'm hoping this will help. This will be an aid. This will be an assistance for individuals, people who have suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts. Um, that's obviously someone who I'm thinking about as I make this video content. Um, I want to help you self-evaluate a little bit differently and evaluate the, the situation you're in and the things going through your own mind. I, I'm hoping this will help, but I pray that God gives me wisdom. And I do this like with a sense of fear because I realize that some people are like on the cliff's edge and they're, they're, they're just a, a, a small breeze will push them over, so to speak. And so I'm fearful and have been praying for you. And I hope that you will um, step away from the edge, so to speak. And um, I hope that what I share uh, helps and doesn't harm because I realize how big of a deal all this is. But I also want to help other people. I want to help people who are dealing with fallout, people who have loved ones who've committed suicide and they're suffering. And I think a big spotlight needs to be put on these individuals and some help sit their way as they're processing and thinking through these things. Um, yeah, I think we ought to think of these individuals a lot more who, who've lost a, a son, a daughter, a mother, a father, a friend, a pastor, and we need to deal with this. And we need to talk and give some nuance and thoughtfulness to looky-loos. You know what I'm talking about, looky-loos? You ever drive down the freeway and there's like the guys that just slow down to watch the car accident? Right? There's the people involved in the accident, the family and friends of them. Then there's the looky-loos. And that's probably the majority, actually. Um, in our culture. The looky-loos need more balance. Uh, they offer these sort of two-dimensional, quick response answers to the topic that's going on. They offer quick judgments on, on suicide and on individuals and families, and um, they need to think more deeply. So that's that's the goal here. Um, the disclaimer I have is this. I don't have all the answers. I, I don't even know... Um, how to answer some of the questions on this topic or, or what direction to point people in. So I'm not going to try to give you every possible thing. What I want to do though is share what I think scripture says. Also, what is just some of my personal experience, pastoral counseling experience, life experience, and allow you to weigh and consider these things and think these things through for yourself. So I'm, I'm Pastor Mike Winger. This is the Tuesday live stream. We tackle issues of theology, apologetics. You know the drill. Uh, we do this every every week, and I put up free content online uh, just that it might help bless people, change the world for Jesus Christ, give people a biblical worldview, and all that um, wonderful, eternally good stuff. But let's dig in. I think the first topic I want to cover is probably the first thing people think about when they bring up the topic of suicide, if they're Christians, and that is, is it forgivable? This is not going to be the topic of the whole thing today, but the first question we'll ask is, is suicide a forgivable thing? Um, for this, I've already done a lot of groundwork here. Um, I recently taught a study on the unforgivable sin in the Gospel of Mark. 
and I and I've already answered this question. I've put a link in the video description to that video, the teaching on the unforgivable sin in the Gospel of Mark. Um, it should be right there in the video description. If not, just type Mike Winger unforgivable sin in the Google and you'll it should pop right up. You should be able to find my teaching on that. My bottom line is, and this is easy. This is the easiest thing I, I have today to do is to tell you this. Suicide is definitely not the unforgivable sin. It's not. And I know some who are going to push back on me on this topic, but I'm saying I, I feel very solid. I can say this with a biblical basis. Like suicide is just not this unforgivable sin. Um, I, I think that what we have to do is understand the nature of salvation. The nature of being saved is that you are in Christ or you are not in Christ. And let me come back to that in a second. But um, some would say they'd respond, Mike, forget all that. You, if you die in the act of sinning, right? So, so suicide is not the unforgivable sin of, of Mark, but it's an act of sinning. And if you, if you sin and then die right away without repenting, then you, you go to hell because you have to repent every time you sin. And I'm going to respond to this in two ways. One, I'll say biblically, I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that Christians, every time they sin, lose their state of salvation until they repent of it. I think that that is, is um, a, a, basically, this is going to mess you up. If you have this view of salvation, it's going to mess you up. Not only that, if it were true, if it were true, if it were biblical, it would mean that large numbers of Christians aren't, aren't going to be saved. They were saved, but they sinned. They didn't repent. There's things you're doing you don't even know of right now. Things you're doing, other people notice that you're blind to because of repeated sin, because of callousness in your heart. And if this means that when you sin and don't repent and die, that's the loss of your salvation, then we are all in a whole world of trouble. And it has nothing to do with the, with the word suicide. But it's not the case. Um, we're in Christ. See, we're not just forgiven just by virtue of each sin we've repented of. We're forgiven in, with the general repentance of sin, but also because we're in Christ. We're just in Christ. I'm in him. He is my salvation. And if I'm in him, then I'm saved. So my only question for someone who's you know, committed suicide is, were they in Christ or not in Christ? The suicide issue isn't really a factor. Um, the question of being in Christ is the factor. I encourage you to read Ephesians 1 through 3 slowly and carefully if you doubt this or if you're challenged by this. Read Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 slowly and carefully and examine what it means to be in Christ, holy and without blame before him in love, not by virtue of repenting moment by moment of each individual sin as they come up or else, you know, you, you fail and you're out of Christ. No, um, we're not saved by our sinless state. We're saved by our sinless savior. It's good. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's good news. First uh, John 2, 1, Puts it this way, First John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Right? If you're in Christ, you have the advocate. You have Jesus on your side dealing with your sin issue before the Father. That's a constant thing Jesus does. He ever lives to intercede for us. We can come boldly to the throne of grace and so on and so on. Now, is it true that a life of practicing and living in sin, that may reveal that you're not really Christian? Yes, that's true. That may be symptomatic of the fact that you're not even really a Christian in the first place. A life of continual rebellion against God and Christ. Um, we get this in First John. We get this in Romans. Um, but does one act of sin reveal that you're not in Christ? Like suicide or adultery or you, you name it. Uh, no, I do not think that, that we can say that biblically. That one act of sin tells the whole world, here's a big f signal flare going up. You're obviously not saved. I don't think that's the case. 
some people, I think, uh, got this from Catholicism. Catholicism, if you're like, why do people think this? It's suicide is the unforgivable sin. Well, Catholicism has two kinds, two kinds of sins. They break sin into two categories, mortal and venial. Uh, mortal sins, venial sins, you know, you're in trouble, you've sinned, but you didn't lose your state of grace before God. Mortal sins, you lost your state of grace, and you have to, like, be restored by the Catholic Church. That's the, the bare-bones version of it. Um, this is definitely unbiblical, the, this whole concept. Um, it's just not biblical, okay? It, it, it is in Catholic theology. And even even still, in recent years, since I think Vatican II, they walked this back. So the Catholic teaching is more is more nuanced now. And what they say is, yeah, you commit suicide, that's a mortal sin. Yeah, you're, you're gone. You're, you're apart from God for eternity because of this sin. However, they say it has to be knowing and willful. And because they say many people who commit suicide are in a mental state where they're not really knowing and willful. So they say they may, while they did something that would mean they would go to hell, they may not be accountable for the thing because of their mental state, and so therefore they might be okay. And so that's kind of the current Catholic view, as I understand it anyways, since Vatican II. Um, Catholicism has changed over the years. It does change over the years. That's the nature of the thing. Um, So I would say um, that seems to be the answer to this question. But it's so shallow if that's the only question you've got. Is does a person go to heaven or not? That's so shallow. And if you're tempted with suicide, and this is the only question in your mind, I would say you 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 really need to keep listening, and you've got to hear the rest of these the things that I'm going to share uh, today. So first thing I want to tell us beyond the answer of the, the most obvious question is this: it's complicated. Suicide is not a two dimensional thing. It's a complicated issue, and um, we make these quick snap judgments on the topic. When we don't even know people, for instance, two pastors recently in, in the, within the last year, within the last like six months probably, have committed suicide. And it's been all over the news, all over the news. I noticed that the news never says like, big news report, you know, wonderful man of God retires after you know, 60 years of faithful ministry. Oh, what a, what a, what a great man. No, but whenever like there's a failing or a major issue with a pastor or church, it's like, foof, up there in the front. You know, when I... When I die, if I'm faithful to the Lord, there won't be like newspaper articles about about my faithfulness. Ah, oh, but if ooh, but if I got caught in adultery, there'd be all over the place, right? Um, that's the nature of things. We we hear the bad news, not the good. Uh, but these pastors we hear about, um, I just want to encourage you guys with this: It's like you hear about a pastor, you read you read a short article on it. My thought is this: You don't know anything about this guy. Like I've been asked to comment, Mike, what do you think about Jared Wilson? What do you think about what happened? And I I'm like. I don't know the first thing about Jared Wilson. I literally never heard his name until I saw an article about him having committed suicide. And everybody's doing videos about it. Everybody's talking about it. And I'm like, I'm going to talk about the topic, but I know nothing about Jared Wilson. Nothing. Not the first thing. It, it, it just seems so reckless for me to even comment on the man. I'm like, what's going on? What I want to comment on is people's reactions to, to the stuff that's going on. My first thought is this, is you may know nothing about what's going on with somebody, but because suicide is such an in, inflammatory issue, you feel like you have to weigh in on it. Just don't, okay? It's just none of your business. Uh, it's none of my business. Just pray for the congregation, pray for his family. It's just none of my business. Um, in fact, I saw, in, not, not Jared Wilson, but the pastor before him who committed suicide, I saw his reactions, uh, the reactions to him online, and I saw multiple pastors, and may, may I speak as a pastor to other pastors for a minute? I saw multiple pastors post online implying that it was the congregation's fault that he committed suicide because they put too much stress and pressure on him. And I want to say in all soberness, uh, shame, shame on you. Shame on you. You as a pastor did that. 
probably because you're stressed and it felt like a, 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 a reaction to the stress you feel with your own congregation or whatever. That was such a horrible thing. Did it even occur to you what would happen if one of the members of his church read the article that you wrote that said that? If one of the members of his church saw the post where you were like, congregations, watch out for your pastors, pray for them, you know, you, you stress them out too much. If they saw that kind of stuff, um, I, I think that's shameful. You don't know the first thing about what went on in that guy's life. And yet the blame comes out. And this is what I've learned pastorally. When people have traumatic experiences, and I, as a pastor, I've been called in at those moments, right? When, when things are really rough and really bad, um, really hard, horrible, unimaginable stuff. And I get called in. I found that it's frequently right away people start using the blame gun, right? They, they shoot blame at somebody or something. It's like a natural human reaction. I want to blame somebody. I want to blame the church. I want to blame the family. I want to blame the guy himself. And we saw this with Robin Williams. I saw people blaming his family, some people. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I, I, the guy was a great actor. I really enjoyed some of the stuff he did. I don't know the first thing about him, though, or his family. Why are you blaming people? You don't know what's going on, you know? And, and this is this is my attitude. It's just, I hope you feel my, I'm being very open here. I hope you feel my, my tension with like the looky-loos. Stop it. You don't know what you're talking about. That's, that's my, my basic idea here. And this blame reaction, I want to blame, maybe I want to blame the guy himself. Um, and or maybe I want to blame his brain chemistry. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not there. I'm not there. So because this is a complicated issue, and I don't want to tackle one person and put them in front of you and be like, here's, here's my poster boy for the topic. Instead, what I'd like to do is draw from my own experience, from what I read in scripture, and from the, the times I've talked to others very openly and honestly about their struggles with this issue. And I want to talk about a variety of issues that may be affecting someone who is perhaps suicidal or has some ideation of uh, suicidality. So the first one I want to talk about is this, and maybe we'll give us some nuance on the topic. We can think better about it as Christians. Mental health issues. Mental health issues. Here's what I often hear. There's like two camps, and people just polarize immediately into one of these two camps. Either A, um, the only cure for mental health issues is spiritual things, uh, worship, prayer, um, the Holy Spirit, the, um, the Word of God, or the other camp. And they say, the only cure, the only thing that you should do right now is take medication and see a psychiatrist. And my problem with both of these camps is when they polarize. And they're like, hey, it's either this sort of spiritual ministry help or it's medication. I think that this is a dangerous polarization. I think it's a dangerous polarization. Why on earth can we not hold hands here? I, I don't know of a single good reason why we can't hold hands here. And I realize there's, there's some ungodly counseling that goes on and some uh, counseling that's based on unbiblical standards. But this is, of course, not what we're going to encourage, right? I would want uh, Christian counseling and all that sort of thing. Um, so I want to say I don't dismiss mental, mental health issues. Um, all I have to do is see one person who's received brain damage to recognize that your brain chemistry can be impacted or the physical layout of your brain in such a way that is caused by physical issues, not just spiritual issues. But it can also be caused by spiritual issues because I've seen that as well. So I've seen both. So I recognize there's two sides to this coin. Um, I want to avoid the temptation <laughs> to... Um, to say that there is a, uh, a Christian view that you cannot have, say, medication or you can't have a mental health diagnosis. But I also want to avoid something else. 
mental health diagnoses have a history of being reckless. This is just reality. While I'm open to it, I'm cautious about it. I've known too many people, friends of mine, friends, close friends, who went through experiments. You know, you take a medication for six weeks. The guy goes through all kinds of weird stuff. The doctor's like, oh, that was definitely the wrong medication for you. Try this one. And they become guinea pigs for medication. And, and this can be very destructive. This, this can have a lot of harmful effects. In fact, um, being a chaplain for the sheriff's department, I found out that cops, they, their go-to answer for when someone just acts totally nuts, like totally acting out, acting insane, they call it a 5150. It means when a guy's just being crazy. Uh, 5150, it's just the police code for the guy that's going crazy. And the default thing, what do you think cops think when they see someone's 5150? Are they thinking, he's probably a meth addict, probably a heroin addict. He's probably on some kind of crazy drug, you know, ate, ate the wrong flower or mushroom. Their go-to thing is, He's probably just stopped taking psychotropic medications suddenly. Their experience tells them that this behavior is related to the sudden ceasing of psychotropic meds. Am I saying, therefore, don't take those meds? No, I'm like, be honest about the potential risks. I wonder why doctors don't evaluate whether this person is responsible enough to stay on the meds before they assign the meds to them. Because if they stop... Um, that's when the whole world explodes and they become worse than ever. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you know people who've gone through this as well. So I do have concerns, just honestly, as a human being. I'm not a doctor. I'm just saying, I, from my life experience, I have concerns about these things. But that doesn't mean that meds don't help because I know other people who've been helped through horrible times through, good, through medications that were psychotropic or that were in this category that really helped them. So all it means is it's like, it's like tough waters you have to navigate carefully. Don't just be like, pills are the cure, and then you take them. I mean, it's not really a cure. It's a help. It's a help. It's not ultimately a cure for life issues and human struggles that you'll still go through. So navigate that carefully. Be very thoughtful about it. Don't be a guinea pig would be my encouragement for people to, to do, to look up those medications, to be extremely self-aware of the effect it has on you. But I've known people who were really helped by this stuff, and I've known others who were not and were actually injured by it. So it's just... We have to not, I think, again, this is where we need nuance. We need careful thought. Um, so, yeah, I don't dismiss mental, mental health issues, but nor do I think that um, medication is just a simple, you know, boom, there you go. Just get medicated, you know, problem solved. Um, yeah, so I'm open but and non, non-judgmentally cautious about the idea of medication. Yeah, I think that we shouldn't just be reactionary. Um, let me talk about some other issues, though. And, and this is, again, this is... This, this isn't just like the Bible says, medication or not. That I don't know that there's a clear answer in Scripture on this. So I have to go off of experience and some pr- basic principles. And I encourage you to consider these things and weigh them thoughtfully. Please disagree with me. That's totally fine. Let's talk about some uh, situational issues. Situational issues in life, factors that factor into the topic of suicide, that um, where there is real spiritual help within Christianity... There's actual help for these issues. And I want to talk about that briefly. I'm just going to do like an overview. And I'm hoping this points someone in a good direction. One of, one of them is finances. Uh, some people, do, they, they think of suicide. They consider killing themselves because of terrible finances. They're utterly bankrupt. And they're at that point where they're just, they just feel like, um, you know, they're, they're in over their head. They're never going to dig out. And they just want to kill themselves. And I think that Christianity has help here. 
Uh, for one thing, um, it, you know, Jesus is giving us this encouragement in Matthew 6 that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that those basic needs will be taken care of by him. Now, that's a really good encouragement. And I think that we can rely on that, rest on that, and move forward even in the face of incredible debt and just trusting in God. And if you were in rebellion, you, this is when you turn back to God. There's a, there's a kitty cat. By the way, I think cats can, can help you with your, your sad thoughts as well. <laughs> they, help, they help me. Um, um, so finances can be one thing. Scripture gives us an encouragement there in Matthew 6. There's another encouragement we have in the Bible, which is the idea that you don't rest and trust in your riches. Some, some trust in their riches, but not us. We trust in the Lord. And if you find that the, being, being stripped of all your riches and all your values, valuables, excuse me, that that leaves you um, in a place where you are no longer able to have hope in your life, then you find that you've put your hope in the wrong thing. And I mean, please hear me. Please hear me. Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven. And he tells us, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So that when I'm, you know, li- living for what I have in this world, and then I have nothing in this world, then I have nothing to live for. But if I'm living in Christ for the things of God, for the eternal things of God, this changes things. And this is a real spiritual answer to a very real suicidal pressure that we put our hope in Christ and our hope in God for both provision today and for the eternal glory that is to come. I mean, I just really think this is where the spiritual thing meets the practical thing. Here's another one. Relationship issues. Um, Relationship issues and loneliness, general loneliness. Uh, I think loneliness is worse than poverty for sure. I think loneliness is, is far worse than those other, other things, that sense of just being utterly alone. You know, in prison, we consider it like the worst, you know, punishment that we offer someone when they've, you've sort of run out of punishments, they, they make them be alone. I'm going to make you be alone. You're going to go to the isolation. You're, you're, you can't even talk to anybody. And I mean, it's not like in prison, you got the best people to talk to, but you'd rather be with somebody than just be utterly alone. And aloneness is, is uh, psychologically hurtful. It really is utter aloneness. And for this, um, I think there's a couple things the scripture offers help with. One, um, probably the most immediately comes to my mind, is the idea that I'm never alone. I mean, I'm not. In Christ, God is with me. He says, I'm with you even to the end of the age. He's so with me that he's within me. I'm never alone. Now, in my own life, when I came to Christ, this was one of the things that really changed me because I was a depressed, and I mean that, depressed kid. I don't share too much of my testimony online, and I won't share too much today, to be honest, because I have loved ones who I care very much about, and I don't want to drag them through the mud. Um, but let me just say, I was a depressed and sad little kid. And when I came to Christ, the awareness of God's presence with me changed my life. I'm not alone. And maybe, maybe later, years later, I have to remind myself of this fact, but this is a very real and present reality for me, is that God is with me. I'm, he's with me. I'm not alone. And it just blows me away. Um, and it encourages my heart. Um, yeah, I'm never alone. Now, that's, that doesn't mean that that's the only relationship you want in your life, is you and God and you don't need anybody else. Um, no, we are relational. And that's why God's given us the church. Right? We have the church that we might build real relationships within the body of Christ. Not just Sunday, hi, how are you? How was your week? Bye. Not that, but like real relationships, like where you're, you're open and you're genuine and, you know, it's a real thing. And so we have the body of Christ. So the body of Christ is sort of organized in a way that it helps meet some of this need 
for fellowship and for connection, even for people who have broken families and they got no friendships outside the church, they've got at least the church, you know, hopefully, God willing. Um, and the word of God changes our character. God changes us so that we become healthy in our relationships, which gives us better relationships, which kills loneliness. Because you could have a thousand friends, but they're all unhealthy relationships, so you're, you're really alone. In Christianity, with a Christian worldview, with a biblical lifestyle, with a biblical character, you actually build up good relationships naturally because of that godly character that you have. Um, and, it, and so Christianity does offer help. It's not quick fix. It's, it's long-term character change that moves you towards healthy relationships instead of the unhealthy ones. Let's talk about physical health issues just briefly. Um, physical health issues can offer people reasons, for, and, and some of these just add up. It's just one after another after another. They all add up in one person. They've got all these at the same time. But physical health issues do lend often people towards wanting to um, commit suicide. The idea is like, look at my life. This this is painful. This is horrific. This is this is un so unpleasant. You don't understand. And I'm not going to say I do understand. Uh, but I do think that Christianity and the truth of Christ does offer some very genuine and real help. For one thing, when you look at Chris okay, if you look at your life like you're like. Like this life is all there is. Like there's no Christianity. There's no God. There's no, no after this. No future. Then all of a sudden, the 70 years, 80, 90 years you live in this life becomes all that matters, right? Um, and, and if it's doomed, if it's miserable because of physical health issues, then what hope is there? But in Christianity, this moment of suffering is a blip on the radar of eternity. It's a blip on the radar of of eternity. I am simply going through a season right now. This isn't my whole life. This is a season. And just that one realization in light of this glorious eternity in Christ changes my perspective on the physical suffering I'm facing today. That, that, that does. Um, also, we have hope of God using our situations. Romans 8.28 tells us that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things that I'm going through, he's working together for good. doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy it. It doesn't even mean those things are good. He's working them for good. He's bringing good out of it. And that is a, a tremendous hope that I have that I don't have outside of Jesus Christ. Um, I look at the situation, the hardship, the pain, and I have hope for what's happening through it. God will use it for his glory. And this, of course, requires that you trust the word of God, which is, of course, a huge help in your stress and in your pain and in your suffering. So those are two things, the eternity, the blip, the future glory, and the fact that God would even use this, even use this, and he uses it even to shape your own character. You would never trust in God so much had you not gone through this. Uh, that trust goes deep. Uh, it's, it changes us when we suffer. I've learned more spiritually through suffering than I ever had uh, ever have through wonderful experiences. And I think most Christians would agree uh, and say the same thing about their own experience. Um, generally, there's another factor I, I just want to mention and talk through. Uh, one of my goals here is just to help um, round out some thinking about the topic of suicide and also to demystify it a little bit. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that this helps. Uh, yeah, keep seeking, keep learning and stuff, but maybe this will be some sort of aid for you. So let's talk a little, a little bit about disappointment. Disappointment. Um, disappointment is like when you find out that the thing you were hoping in isn't going to happen. Proverbs put it, puts it this way. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. 
That's an interesting proverb, isn't it? Hope deferred. There was this thing I was hoping and it was put off. It's not going to happen. Or it's going to happen so long in the future. Um, and my heart grew sick. You know, so like that sense of depression. That's I think, is a powerful proverb. But then it says this, but a good word makes it glad. A good word makes it glad. What's a good word? Well, in the context of this, it's like, hey, that thing you were hoping for, yeah, you, you still have hope. You still have hope in it. You know, it's delayed, but it's coming. That, that's like a good word that could make you glad. You find out that it, it, there's another way. It might still happen or it will still happen. And I think disappointment is often where we find out where our hope really was. Um, I remember hearing about a uh, uh, Jonathan Noyce, a friend of mine who, um, who's been studying on the topic of suicide. He's speaking at the Standard Reason Conference coming up at the end of the month, and I'll be there as well. He's speaking on suicide. And I called him up and was talking about this, and he told me about some Super Bowl uh some Super Bowl guy. I'm not a sports guy. Sorry, guys. Uh, but he was, you know, he's a football player. And he he had won the Super Bowl. He had bought his favorite Ferrari. His Ferrari, this Ferrari was like the thing he was holding out for in his life. And he thought, oh, when I, if I get that Ferrari. And he got it in the color he wanted with the interior he wanted, special order. And he said he got the keys to the Ferrari. He got the Super Bowl, you know, trophy or whatever they give him. Maybe the ring, maybe the Super Bowl ring. And he looked around at his life and it's, and he said he never felt so empty. He never felt so empty. And this is interesting because this is a different kind of disappointment. This is the disappointment of actually getting what you want and finding out that it's just stuff. It's just stuff. And so he was radically disappointed. So there's disappointment is related in two senses. It can be, I'm not getting what I want, so I'm disappointed. Or it can be, I got what I want and it's not as worthwhile as I thought it was. And here, I think Christianity gives us hope and gives us courage and gives us strength and gives us an answer. In Ecclesiastes, we get this idea that, and Ecclesiastes is a really interesting book, right? But you get this idea that if this is all there is, then this just isn't nearly enough. And so it's understandable to be depressed, especially as you age, and to look around at this world and just be utterly disappointed. Whether you get what you want or you don't get what you want, you end up disappointed. I think that um, Christians need to feel the hope that we have in Christ and realize that I do find my satisfaction in the Lord. And the most important relationship in my life is that with God and all this stuff, even with the success on YouTube. I mean, this is actually really good success because it's like ministry success. I'm successful in reaching large numbers of people and seeing their lives transformed. And yet at the end of the day, what matters more in a sense in my own sense of satisfaction in life is just my walk with God. Like that matters more in, in my own sense of satisfaction in life. And we just have to be turning our heart towards the Lord. Um, and I know this isn't help for the whole world if they reject Christ, but I don't know how to offer you the hope you need if you reject Christ. Jesus is the hope, man. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And, and the hope is really there in him. So disappointment can be a, a big factor. People are disappointed. They lost a job. Um, they A relationship broke up. You know, maybe a family member died or something like this. This massive, oh, the bottom just dropped out of my life. Yeah. Another thing that can be a factor is guilt. Guilt. Um, this has been this is really interesting as I've been thinking about this. And this is something my buddy Jonathan brought up. And he was like, I think guilt's a major factor. He said that a constant like sense of regret can be one of the things that really triggers people wanting to uh, commit suicide. They just think, oh, I've blown it so much. What's the point? What's the point? I remember hearing a, let me, let me compare this mentality though. And maybe this would help someone who's struggling with this, this feeling. I, I once met a student who, um, they just started ditching school. 
and they ditched school and they quit doing homework. And I asked him why. I was like, why did you just quit and give up? Like, why did you just give up like that? And he said, I was tired of working hard and getting like D's. So I quit. And I just thought it was so weird because the solution in his mind was to get F's. And I just, I think that this is sometimes what's going on with this mentality. It's like, I feel so guilty of failing so much. Now, I'm not going to change my life. I'm not going to change my behavior. I'm going to just put an end, put a permanent end on the lowest spot of my life with suicide. And that is, um, that is definitely the wrong way to handle guilt, especially in light of Jesus Christ, who offers us grace and forgiveness for our sin, help in restoration and transformation. Instead of saying, if, I'm, if you're so tired of failing, turn to Christ trust in him and start actually making those life changes that you've been resisting up until now. And I think you know what I mean, right? Those specific life changes that you've been resisting up until now because you didn't feel like it. You didn't want to Um, because those are the things that would change it for you. There's a sense of insufficiency, regret falling short and oh my goodness, Jesus Christ is the answer to this problem. Even if you were to say, I'm a Christian, Mike, and I still feel this sense of regret and failing, then how about you radically change your obedience to God? Radically. Why not go full on into serving and following Jesus Christ in your personal, private life, um, if this applies to your situation, rather than thinking that I should, I should uh, blow it even more as a solution to my blowing it. It, does, it. it doesn't make sense. And that's the thing. Suicide, generally speaking, it doesn't make sense. And it's not about it making sense. I'm trying to speak sense to some people who perhaps aren't thinking about what makes sense. They're thinking about just escaping from how they feel. I just want to escape from how I feel. And I want to talk more about this because I think it's it's kind of a... Some, some would say it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. <laughs> um I would say if, if all you care about is escaping about how you feel, listen in. Keep, keep listening in because I'm going to share with you some more about two major issues that nobody talks about with suicide. Uh, but you've got to stick with me because there's a lot I have to share about the topic and I'm hoping that some of it helps some people. So let's talk a little bit about sin, the sin issue. You know, guilt is caused by sin and the solution to sin is, of course, turn to the Lord for his, both his grace, for your forgiveness, and for his direction and help in transformation and changing and moving forward. And you feel like, but no, it's a repeated sin. It's a constant sin. It's a, it's a, okay, well, go and start meeting regularly with a spiritual leader in your life. Be completely open and honest with them. Work on this thing. Be actually proactive. Like, do what you ought to do about the issue rather than just agonizing on it. Because 1 Corinthians 7.10 puts it this way. In fact, I can... 2 Corinthians. I can put this up on the screen for you. Cool transition. Logo software. Okay. It says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. This is a worldly grief, right? Where it's like, I'm sorry about my situation, but I won't do anything about it. I'm just, I've given up because I feel stuck. I feel like it's just end of story about my sin issue. Uh, But instead, a godly sorrow, a godly grief, the kind of good sorrow, it doesn't lead you to this death place. It leads you to return to life and return to life in Christ. And I say, if you've repented a thousand times, repent again. What else is there? Repent again. Repent. 
and, and take maybe some actions, some steps of repentance that you've never taken before and think about what those are. Okay, now I want to talk about those, those two issues, um, selfishness and pride. And this is where I know I'm stepping on toes, but I have to because I think there's, these are such important issues. Um, some people say when someone commits suicide, they go, it's just purely selfish. And I would say, well, it's not purely selfish. But here are some reasons why some people think that selfishness is a factor in many suicides. Not every, not, not equally a factor in every suicide or something like that, but definitely a factor in at least many of the suicide experiences that people uh, go through. And this is in my own counseling experience. Over the years, I've, I've been doing ministry for 20 years, and I've counseled many people, and I've counseled several who were going through suicide, had suicidal thoughts, uh, both in like a sitting down and in the church counseling situation, as well as just friends and just talking in person on the phone. And here's what I found. Fairly consistently, fairly consistently that I observed and I didn't know going in, I found that those people tended to have a hyper self-focus. It was pretty universal amongst those who were thinking about these things. They had, for whatever reason, maybe they, maybe you would think they had really good reasons for becoming hyper self-focused, but they were hyper self-focused. Everything was about them and about filtering it through how they experience it. Um, even to the point of forgetting to even seriously think about the impact they would have on others. That to me is really significant. I remember talking with somebody who was thinking about committing suicide. Later on, when he was a little bit more sober-minded, he says to me, Mike, when I was in that place, and I was considering that, and he had, by the way, had wife and children, he says, it didn't even register or matter to him what impact it would have on his wife and kids. Now, this is a man who would die or kill for his children. And he says, at that moment, it didn't even matter what would happen what impact this would have on his wife and kids. Why? Because it was a hyper self-focus. All the focus, he's feeling so down. The emotions are so strong. The stress and pressures are so terrible that everything else just doesn't matter anymore. And that is one of the major issues I think that goes on. And yes, that's, yes, that's selfish. I'm not trying to be like, you jerk. <laughs> I just think we should recognize that there's this potential problem if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts because if you recognize this as selfishness, you have something to target. You have something to focus on. Here are some questions you can ask if perhaps you think you're being selfish or you want to know, am I being selfish in this stuff? Have you, especially for younger people, are you thinking about suicide and you think, then they'll know? This is the phrase that's in your mind because I'll tell you, it was in my mind when I went through all that stuff when I was younger and I thought about suicide and I thought, then they will know. They'll know that they should have treated me better. They'll know that I was I, I should have got more attention. Um, they'll know whatever. I thought, then they'll know. Now, that was not selflessness. This is, this is entirely, I'm not only thinking of killing myself, I'm thinking of using it as a tool to manipulate or twist somebody else. That's, it, was, it was actually kind of hateful. Um, I didn't realize it, of course, but that was where I was at. Now, I've talked to several people who've admitted the same thing when they were thinking about suicide. They thought, yeah, I thought, then they'll know. That'll show them. And I'd say this is, this is an example of actually using suicide as a way of... Um, hurting people on purpose. 
but it's just where people are honestly at. Now, not everybody's there. Uh, that's more of that's more of a youthful thing, actually. I think, but other people of all ages could be there. Here's some other questions. Potentially, in case selfishness is is somehow crippling you at this point, when you look at yourself and you see the harm you've brought potentially to others, or maybe you've you've, you've injured someone else, do you feel sorry for them, or do you feel sorry for you? This is a profound question for you to ask. Do I feel sorry for the other person, or do I feel sorry for myself? Because I've known those who routinely wound others around them, and they feel bad for themselves, not for the ones they wound. They even think, I'm a terrible person, but when they say it, what they really mean is, and boy, I feel sorry for myself. It's hard being me. You don't even know what it's like to be this kind of like messed up person that I am. Gosh, I feel so, I hate myself. But what I really mean is, I deserve better than me. <laughs> and it's like, um, in all honesty, this is that hyper self-focus. And when my care and concern can hurt more for the harm I cause others than the harm I bring to myself, then I'm in a very healthy place. I'm in a healthy place, spe mentally speaking. So do you, another self reflecting question is this do you care about others or just what they think of you or how your your actions you know maybe even suicide can impact them because if you really care about others then you, this this is going to be a huge tool in your toolbox to keep yourself from ever committing suicide is the deep concern and care for other people around you you just you don't want to do it do I really care for them or do I just care what they think of me, which is, a, which is a me thing, it's not about them. Or do I care of how it will, um, I can use this to impact them versus how it will impact them. There's just two very different kind of things. You might even think they're better off without me. And I've known people go through this. They think this thought, have you thought this thought? They're better off without me. Um, which is just about never ever true. The truth is that sometimes people think this because they, they won't change. And they are actually harming others around them. But rather than change, um, they just think they're better off without me. And I'm like, well, actually, they're better if you change. <laughs> they're better off if you change and stay in their lives and have a wonderful, wonderful impact. I mean, the power of a changed life is so wonderful that so often, whatever harm someone has caused, when they turn to Christ and change, they bring much more good ever than the harm they ever caused. It, it's just this beautiful thing. And scripture supports this. God's like always like, hey, wicked, why would you die in your sin? Like turn and live, turn and live. There's just no point. I will restore you. I will rebuild you. And so the answer there is they're better off if you actually change. And for some of you, this is going to be a situation you need to hear. They're better off if you actually change. This is, this is a, 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 wrong think, a wrong thing to think. Um. Okay, so here's a question for reflection. Perhaps you have a hyper self-focus. You ask this question. Who do I care about, truly, truly care about beyond myself in this exact moment? In this exact moment. Who do I care about beyond myself? And feeling sorry, um, or I should say, feeling sorry for yourself, like, it just, it just becomes this thing where even the moment I think about them, I'm really thinking about me. It's about, I'm trying to think about my impact would have on my mother, but yeah, I'm really thinking about me. At least I'd have a grieving mom, you know, and, and that almost, almost is appealing to me now. Um, th that kind of thing. That's when it's like, I can't really care about others. It just boomerangs back to myself. Or how about God? How about God? Like, do you love the Lord? Because if the only question is, will I go to heaven or not when I, when I do this, 
then why on earth is that your only question? Do you love the Lord? Then you want to live for him. If, if you're a normal Christian, you've just got this sense of indebtedness to God for his grace and his love for you. And you want to live for him. And this destroys that good thing. So I think that selfishness is a factor. I wouldn't just immediately gut reaction, say whoever commits suicide just did the most selfish thing ever. I, I, I think that that may be going too far. I think it is going too far. I think that we should evaluate this issue and look at it just honestly, honestly, right? Um, pride is the second issue that never gets talked about, never gets talked about. And I think pride comes in, and I'll give one example of where pride can come in and can really mess you up. Now, don't, look, I got pride issues too. Right, so I'm just saying, as a as a counselor, as a pastor, trying to maybe help somebody think some of this stuff through, I want to say if you are struggling with pride, it may be evident through the following ex- example: you're believing things that aren't true about yourself. I deserve to die. I sh- I should just kill myself. Life would be better without me. Uh, the world would be better without me. There's no point. There's no hope for my future. You're believing these things about you. I hate myself, but they're not really true things. Your perception of self and the world around you is not right. So God has devices in your life that can rescue you from this. Such as friends who tell you, hey, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're not seeing clearly, my friend. No, no. You have the word of God that tells you you're wrong. These things you're thinking aren't true. You have family and intelligent people you trust that are around you that are telling you, hey, you're wrong. You're you're thinking wrong things. But you aren't saying to yourself, and this is really crucial, I know I'm thinking this and I know I'm convinced of this, but because of these other people and I have an ounce of humility to hear them and say, I guess I'm wrong. I mean, I feel like my life is worthless, but I guess I'm wrong because everyone around me is telling me it's not. I guess I'm wrong because scripture is telling me I'm not because God is telling me he still loves me. I, I guess I'm wrong. This is beautiful news. It'd be like if you're, you're basically hallucinating when, you're, when you evaluate your life. You're like hallucinating about it. But imagine if you did this in your room. You're, you're hallucinating. You see fire and you see horrible things coming your way. But you have other people in the room telling you, hey, don't worry. They're hallucinations. None of that stuff's real. Now, you're still freaking out because you're still seeing the stuff. But, but you now recognize that it's just a hallucination. So you react differently. So you see the fire, but you... But you, you just get up and you keep going through your day. You keep going through doing the things you need to do into your room. You have to reach into it for a moment. You know you won't be burned. It freaks you out a bit. But you're humble enough to trust the other voices around you. And this is something I see with mental illness a lot. Those I've known with mental illness, one of the greatest saving graces they have is the humility to believe that even though they're convinced, they may be wrong. And they let other people in their lives tell them when that is the case. Hey, I had a buddy who was schizophrenic. Um, and he, he would tell me, Mike, sometimes I need you to tell me, I need you to tell me that you don't hate me because I just start thinking that maybe you hate me. And, um, you know, the friendship was important. And so he was like, so if you don't hear from me, you know, for like a week or two, just call me up and, you know, let me know. He, see, he had the perception, but he had the humility to say, I will give you permission to tell me I'm wrong and I'll believe you when you do it. And this is kind of one of the things that I think can help and pride keeps it from helping. Because pride has me continuing to believe wrong things about my own life. Pride to reject the word of God and think I'm wiser than scripture. Pride to reject the counsel of loved ones um, who I would otherwise think are trustworthy. And letting yourself realize uh, I'm just thinking something that's not true about me, about others, about life. That I think can possibly help. It's not a cure, but it may help. It may help. 
Let me move on to a few other issues because there's some more major, major stuff I still want to cover. I mean, this is stuff that I, I think never gets talked about, some of it. Um, so briefly, read the Bible and pray. Read the Bible and pray is often uh, counsel that is given on one hand and laughed and mocked at on the other hand. And I think read the Bible and pray is wonderful, wonderful advice. I just don't look at it as a pill that will definitely result in you feeling better after you read the Bible and pray. Rather, as a spiritual discipline that in general is a good, healthy spiritual discipline in life. And if it's missing from your life, then there will be harm. If it's in your life, there will be blessings. So yes, read the Bible and pray. That's good advice. It's powerful advice. It's just not a one-trick pony. And so we, we should be doing that. You should be examining your spiritual state um, just just as much as you examine the other things in your life. Physical health. Are you eating? Are you exercising? Are you sleeping? Uh, are you doing too much? Do you need to slow down a bit? Those are all really important things. Um, another side of the coin is this, is that we want solution, but this, this may be the case for many who are struggling with depression, suicidal thoughts, anxiety. The Bible offers us direction. It points us in the direction of God as the ultimate solution, but it doesn't tell us that we're guaranteed to feel better. It just doesn't. This is bad news. There is no guarantee from anyone in the world that you will feel better if you do this, if you do X, Y, Z. Uh, part of the growth, of spiritual growth that you go through when you go through these trials is to learn to do the right thing whether or not you feel better. And that is an incredible spiritual discipline that we all need to have in our lives. I need to have it in my life. You need it in yours. We're all psychologically broken, all of us. Every last one of us. Every last one of us. We all, we all are. And I've learned that God doesn't take away our brokenness. Rather, he uses it for his glory. And it is in our weakness that his strength is made perfect. That's what he told Paul. In our weakness, and weakness is not a fun thing. In the humility of our lives and our great weakness, his strength is made perfect in us. This is something you've got to learn to swallow. Uh, all of us have to learn to swallow. This isn't just a message for someone who might be suicidal. It's just humans dealing with the psychological brokenness of our of our minds um, we de desperately need to do that to learn the and you, you don't learn it except through trials you don't learn it because i'm telling it to you 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 learn it through trials you learn how to trust in god and rest in him though you're weak and broken and you got nothing to hang on to except his his truth and uh, then the hope of christ and you keep moving forward and you trust him to use you even in your your sorrow your sorry state and that is a that is a, a life thing that you just learn by going through it. And guess what? Maybe you're learning it right now by going through it right now. So Christianity helps. Christianity does help. Um, I think that in my own life, I've seen tremendous help in Christ through these things. I don't see quick fixes and easy solutions. I see a spiritual direction for, for myself when I'm in trouble and struggling with things. And I think I see the same thing for others. Uh, but it didn't make me feel better. I don't feel better yet. And I say, okay, well, but not feeling better is sometimes part of the part of the trial. And you just posture yourself towards God and you keep serving and seeking him. Now, I want to talk about something again that I, I feel like nobody ever talks about. And that is on this topic. We need to take a look at the victims. Um, the victim, what do I mean the victims? Let me tell you a story. This is a true story. When I was, when I was younger, uh, a friend of mine, his cousin who I knew, um, who was about... I think he was maybe 10 at the time. I'm trying to remember. This was years and years ago. His father committed suicide. His father committed suicide. He was like a 10-year-old boy. Maybe he was a little bit older. He might have been as old as 12. About three years later, his son also committed suicide. 
And this shocked me and it shook me. And I remember feeling angry, angry at the man who, who committed suicide and, there, and thereby abandoned his wife and child, but also angry because I, I kind of knew, certainly feel this is likely true, that that boy never would have killed himself if his dad hadn't have done it first. Because I remember being a kid, you guys know what I'm talking about, and you have a weird family member or suicide in the family or insanity in your family and you think to yourself, is that what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do? Am I going to do that now? You know, it just puts ideas in your head. And this is something people often don't think of. They don't think of the people who have to live in the aftermath of someone else's suicide. And this is something that I think suicidal people need to seriously take a long, lingering look at. Look at the victims. Look at those suffering 20, 30, 50 years later. Suffering the aftermath of someone who committed suicide. Because I feel like this may be a sobering wake-up call to someone who's fantasizing, perhaps, about a, a suicide or just the hyper self-focus is there and the awareness of those suffering, those suffering. Um, you know, uh, you know these pastors that have committed suicide, I'm, I'm convinced that others are much more likely to commit suicide who may find their, these pastors in particular, the two that I've heard of recently, they may find them as being an inspiration, a, 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 a push in that direction. And I doubt that they thought about that very deeply. Maybe they did and did it anyways. I don't know their hearts, but I doubt they thought about that very deeply. And I think we should. I think it's healthy for us to do it. I think in our media, in our culture, we shouldn't just focus on the person who committed suicide. It may well be very helpful for us to sort of let the hurt and let the pain of those who, who live with the suicide, let that be on display um, a little bit more so that we can recognize that after that person has, has died and we, and we speak kindly of them, we yet also have to realize that their, their kid has no dad, uh, that dad's not going to teach him how to tie a tie, dad's not going to take him to play baseball, he's not going to uh, help him through life situations or life troubles or anything like that. Financially, their, their lives are radically hurt as, as a result of these things. I think that we should look at those things. I would say if you're suicidal, please go find someone who has survived a loved one's suicide and talk to them about how it affected them and and see if they're willing to talk to you about it. And maybe this will kind of like help you to like break the self-focus. Because um, if you just talk to other people who also feel suicidal, it may only reinforce your beliefs. And these may be false beliefs, but other people maybe can help you out. That's my hope. That's my hope for you. I think though that our reactions... Um, they can be harmful because of this, because suicidality is like a contagious type thing. One person commits suicide, it often inspires another. That's just, a, I think, a real reality with suicide. It seems to be the case. And um, and our reactions can actually be hurtful. And and what do I mean by hurtful? I mean, well, you can you can be hurtful in one extreme where you you vilify the person who committed suicide um you know, in, in a way that is, you don't even know what's going on and you're, you're vilifying this person and trying to weigh in on it. Um, and I think that that's unwise, but there's, but actually our modern day, I think our more common reaction, at least the one I see in public spheres, personally, I see this, maybe it's not your experience, is that we don't want to speak ill of the deceased. We don't want to put salt in the wound. And it's so much more pleasant to not think things like, how could he, how could he? It's much nicer to think things like, it wasn't really his fault or her fault. Like they, they didn't have control over their actions. They didn't know what they were doing. And these are much more, now they may be true or they may not be true. I think it's very situational, but those are much more pleasant thoughts. 
I'd much rather sit on that thought and live with that thought. I just want to say in some cases, suicide really is selfish and horrible. And while I I really want to say they didn't know what they were doing, I, I can't say that in every case. It's just not reality. In some cases it is, in some cases it isn't. Like this is just real reality. We got to really just suck it up and deal with it in a sense. And maybe that'll help us handle it a little bit better. In some cases it's selfish and horrible. In some cases it's just like, dude, there was just all kinds of mental stresses. No one else understands mental even uh, uh, health issues and chemical imbalances and things like that, that you have no idea what they were going through. And other times it's, it's more like, um, man, what was that guy thinking? How could you do that? Or that girl or whatever. So I can offer them grace. Here's the beautiful thing. As a Christian, I can offer incredible grace. But that doesn't mean I have to be delusional about the causes and the effects of a suicide. I don't want to use delusion as a coping mechanism to just sort of lift somebody up. Like, oh, they were glorious. Like, they were better. Now that they've committed suicide, they were even better than they ever really were. And this is, this is perhaps going to inspire others. That suicide turns your life into a fairy tale. And I think that that's a dangerous um, a dangerous thing, dangerous thing for our culture. So um, it may give them people a glimpse of, oh, see, they'll mourn me and they'll lift me up, and 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 that that is not something I think that I want. I don't want to encourage anybody in that direction, um, and that's only some people that would have that feeling. But we should be aware of it because, again, it, it does seem contagious, you know. Um, so if you're struggling with thoughts, anxiety, depression, fear, worry, I think that it's okay for you to go and look, talk to a mental health professional, talk to a pastor, go in prayer, read the Bible, do all that, go get exercise, eat better, eat more healthy, let your life be totally changed in positive ways. You can do all those types of things. Um, but I would say this, if you're going to talk to a godly counselor, it needs to not be me. Okay. You can't just throw a YouTube comment up and expect me to be able to be your counselor. Like you actually need a flesh and blood person who you can just pour your heart out to and they listen to you and I have one one request if you're ready to do this and go talk to somebody whoever you talk to about it right be it a pastor be it a, a the suicide hotline which the, the number for the suicide hotlines is in the video description for anybody who needs that internationally whatever nation you're in it, there may be a suicide hotline in your nation you can check it out um, so I, I say go for it but I got one rule for you be brutally honest with that person. And I mean, don't just vent because you may be good at venting, but are you good at being open and honest and being totally self-exposing about how you really feel and why you think you're really feeling it? Because if you do that, you have taken one huge step towards letting a counselor really help you. Total honesty. When I get counsel, when I get help, I just pour out the truth, even if it's embarrassing, and you've got to do the same thing if you want help with this stuff. Um, that's just how counsel works. So if you have that with a, willing, a willingness to yield and, and even change your mind about your situation yourself, that's a positive thing. It's not a one quick fix, but it's a positive thing. Let me briefly talk about a couple of scriptures that where suicide happens. Um, but what I also want to do then is go to your guys' questions. I've already got more questions than I can handle. So... Um, you guys don't bother sending in more at the moment. We've already got like 20 and I don't know how many I'll even be able to get through. So what I will say is I'll get through as many as I can and I'll try to offer some help. And I, I would love your feedback on this video. Um, is this helpful? Is this useful? Is this insightful? Is it, is, it, is it good for helping people? I would love to know because I really am doing what I can with a tough issue as I'm sure we all understand. 
Um, there are some other scriptures where suicide is talked about in the Bible specifically. We have like seven people in scripture who committed suicide or at least did something close to committing suicide. Um, I honestly, I, it's interesting because like, okay, Haman, we read about Haman. This guy committed suicide because he was embarrassed. He had hope of his personal advancement in, po in politics. It failed, so he killed himself. I am like, okay. He was disappointed. He put his hope in the wrong things. And instead of fixing his hope upon God and learning the lesson and repenting, he just killed himself. Like, that's Haman. Um, Saul killed himself. Well, you know, his armor bearer doing it. And this other guy finished him off. This is like, he had impending death coming. This is like a whole different kind of category of of thinking with suicide. He was literally about to die and he didn't want to die at their hands, um, which is just doesn't apply to almost anybody who's watching the video here. Um, Abimelech, he was already dying. He'd already been hit. He was dying and he's like, hey, finish me off. Don't don't let them say a woman killed me. <laughs> which is, anyway, whole different story there. Um, Ahithophel, another guy in 2 Samuel 17, he was upset because they wouldn't listen to his counsel. He had, he had rebelled against King David. He had joined himself to this other this other guy, this usurper. And that usurper didn't listen to his counsel. So he's like, what? I left my position with David and I don't even have the right position I want with this other guy. Oh man, this rebellion didn't work and he went and killed himself. And um, yeah, he, was, he had his hope in the wrong things. He was living a life of rebellion against God. That's the bottom line. Zimri, there's, I'm just giving you a rundown of these guys. Zimri is another guy, king of Israel. He reigned for like a week. Um, and when he saw that the city was taken or that he was, he was, you know, he lost his, his kingship, his rebellion failed or his, his control of the government failed. Um, he went and set his house on fire and, and burned, burned his house down with himself in it. Okay. So again, another guy put his hope in the things of this world, even in perhaps rebellion and sin, because he was a rebellious, sinful man. And when it failed, he had no hope left. And so again, there's the issue consistently is their hope is in this world and not in the eternal things of God. And they're uh, hoping in their rebellion against God oftentimes in this, in these examples. These aren't the only things that happen. Um, Judas is an odd one. He was always problematic. He had satanic things going on, demonic things going on that contributed to his suicide, it seems. And um, he was utterly ashamed, utterly ashamed of his sin. And he ended up rebelling, continuing in that. He, he had sorrow, but as far as I can tell, no genuine repentance. And people will debate this, but I, I don't think there's any way we can say he actually repented. He ends up giving up, like, instead of letting the sorrow lead him to repentance, and then, and then imagine his story. Judas, the man who betrayed Christ, now he's serving him. You know, that would be amazing. That would be beautiful. But he just puts a, a permanent, poor, sad ending on his life, and that's Judas. Now, there's other people in the scripture who don't commit suicide, like Jonah. Uh, Jonah, he was like he wanted to die uh, because he was ultimately, Jonah hated the Ninevites so much. That's his true story. He hated them so much he didn't want them to be saved. They ended up being saved and he was like, I just want to die. And um, and God uses him there to create a lesson out of that situation. So it was actually hatred that led Jonah to a place of despair and wanting to kill himself. Um, Paul despaired of his life at some point. Didn't say he wanted to kill himself, but he despaired of his life. Like he didn't want to be in this world anymore. He didn't want to be in this life. And he had a few things, three things that I read about. And I won't read through all the scriptures because I've already gone so long today. But um, he had three things that he, that he had that kept him going. And one was there was this joy set before him. He saw the eternal glory as, as being so much greater than the present sufferings that it just was, these things don't even compare. He had such a, he, he, he had an awareness of how bad things were, but it was the glory to come was so wonderful in his eyes that it was worth it. And that was one thing, the joy set before him. The other thing was he loved God and other people. 
and his love for God. I want, I love God. I want to serve God. I want to please God. And this wouldn't please him. Also, he loved other people and he wanted to help them and live a life that would assist others. And that kept him serving God, kept him feet planted in this world. And finally, he believed that his trials had a purpose beyond pain. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 1, 9. Oh, I've had this up the whole time. I just should probably take it off. It, he said, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He'd received the sentence of death. They felt like we're going to die, but, but feeling close to death, feeling even on the verge of death or on the edge of death, which is what sometimes suicidal people feel. He saw that as a way of getting them to rely on God and not on themselves. God using our brokenness to get us to rely on him utterly and completely. And Paul saw that and that, that kept him grounded. Um, I, I recommend read Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 25, if you want to check out some more. There's others. Um, um, Elijah, Job, these guys obviously went through crazy stuff. They did not, they chose not to kill themselves. Yeah. And so I think we have a lot of good reasons for these things to push forward, to trust in Christ, to let God work it all together for good, to recognize those who, who would be hurt and devastated 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, lives utterly damaged because of these things and our care for them is enough of a reason right there to stop. So I think my main points as I go to your questions are um, we can react too, simplistic, too simplistically to the topic of suicide. It is complicated. There are lots of factors, but there is help both in the, in the, simply in the world out there suicide hotlines, maybe medications, uh, therapy. But you got to take all those things carefully and thoughtfully. And, um, and there's help in the scriptures, in the word of God, in the hope that we get with Christianity that really is our help. Um, there's no one-size-fits-all uh, explanation for suicide. There's no one-size-fits-all ultimate solution except for the ultimate final solution of the gospel of Christ. All right, I'm going to go to your guys' questions. So Jarek Merson says... Is there any reason in life suicide might be permissible? Like in a case of someone being a sex slave and seeing no other way out. Jarek, I'm going to be uh, honest. I didn't bring this up in my teaching portion here because I am not certain how to answer this question. I, I just am honestly not certain. And so I feel like I'm really messing with something I don't want to mess with unless I know. I'm not sure if there might be a scenario where um, such impending pain is certainly coming upon someone that killing themselves just just ends the thing and speeds it up or something like that. Um, I'm so nervous about saying yes to that because I feel like so many suicidal people will be like, "Boom! That's what that's what I'm that's what I'm experiencing." Um, and I I mean I just know people enough to know that this will happen, but at the same time, I don't know that 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 means the answer is no. So I'm not 100% sure how to answer that question, Jarek. I'm sorry I can't be of more help. Uh, Matt Steele says, can suicide be considered a demonic attack? If so, can Christians experience demonic attack or is suicide simply a mental emotional issue? Um, I do think that, yeah, it can absolutely be a demonic attack, in my opinion. Um, it, yeah, I don't see any reason to say it's not. Um, I think that what Judas went through when he killed himself may have been a satanic attack on his life. It was Satan who put it into his heart to betray Jesus. It says Satan entered him. After he betrays Christ, now he feels so wrecked and so guilty, hopelessly guilty, not hopefully guilty, I turn to God, but hopelessly guilty, that may have been a satanic attack in his life. And so for those things, we, we say, I'm going to pray, I'm going to seek the Lord, I'm going to renew my mind with the truth of scripture, and the, the, this is a, a big deal. So 
yeah, I, I think it can be a demonic attack. And I think Christians can be attacked demonically. I don't think that we're impervious to any effect of a demonic attack in our lives. I think that we have to watch out for the fiery darts of the wicked one. Hold up the shield of faith. Uh, Jeremy C. says, What are your thoughts on euthanasia? I'd like to see the difference between the choices made for the unborn in abortion but the choices made for one's own life in euthanasia. I feel like um, my general stance is human life is it, it's not in the it's not in humans' rights. It is killing is not a right. I don't have the right to kill myself or anyone else. Um, God gives life, God takes it away. That's my general position, right? So unless there's those real extenuating circumstance where, like, say, capital punishment or killing someone to save a life because they're say they're about to kill somebody and they're a bad guy and you you kill them to save a life, um, and then it's you know only as a last resort. I think that's true, but euthanasia. Uh, my general position is, uh, no, don't do it. I do think it's different to pull a plug and not artificially force somebody to just have a long, elongated, painful, slow death. I think it's one thing to pull the plug and let death happen naturally. Something else to actually speed it up, so to speak, and kill someone who's not going to die. I do feel a little bit of caution with that position because I feel like I don't know all the answers to all the scenarios. And so... Um, like I said, with the last question uh, or previous question, I, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure how to answer all scenarios. I just have a general position. I'll put it that way for now. Maybe I'll get more wisdom, um, study more bioethics stuff in light of the Christian worldview. Um, LU graduate 100 says, "How do we show Jesus Christ love to the family of a person who committed suicide?" Um, well, you just you 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 start by just actually loving them, and then think. What do they need? Start there. Just super practical, right? I actually care about them. What do they need? They need space. They need a casserole. They need prayer. They need a friend. They need to talk about this. They need someone who will hang out with them and not talk about this. Um, you know, and look at what they need and, and be there for them. Be there for them. Share them the truth of, of God and the truth of his word. Don't try to fix, but do try to help. That would be my brief encouragements. Um... Yeah, Jeremy says, how to support someone with feelings and thoughts of suicide, especially your partner. So if it, let's say that it's your, your, your husband or wife. Um, oh, man. You, this takes tons of wisdom. And I don't, I, don't, there's, I don't see a simple, like, you know, cookie-cutter response here. But I, I think that you be as active as possible, but you recognize what helps and what doesn't help. And you do the things that help and you don't do the things that don't help. And you walk in wisdom and you walk with patience. And you, f and you follow your gut because you know your spouse. You know them. You know when it's good to not leave them alone or when, when there's too much stress going on. And you can't, you're positioned as, a, as, a, as a, say, a, a marriage partner. You're positioned with your wife or husband to be in such a place that you can really help them in ways that nobody else can. Um, but, uh, but you also need to be observant of what helps and what doesn't help. You know, that kind of thing. Sometimes, though, you need someone else to help because they just aren't going to listen to you as much. And so bring that person in. Don't be arrogant about it. It's not like you have to be the one that fixes everything. So just a few thoughts. I hope that these things help. I, I realize I'm, I'm speaking into hypothetical situations, but you guys have real situations. And so anytime you do this, there's always ways in which it misses the mark. So I pray you have wisdom as you kind of chew up the wheat, spit out the chaff, and any sort of counsel that you may be receiving from me right now. Mariano Rogers says in uh, King Saul's situation, 
Was his suicide righteous or unrighteous? Should he have let the Philistines kill him, or was it okay to kill himself in the face of death? Um, I, I mean, I'm inclined to think he should have continued to live and see, and see what would have happened. Um, it's, I mean, it, it doesn't look like God honored it, right? I mean, he went to kill himself. It didn't work. He's trying to ask his armor bearer to help. This other guy comes along that he may have still been alive at that point, And now it's like an Amalekite who's, who's boasting about it. Anyway, so it just didn't really work out the way he wanted anyways. It was still an elongated and painful and embarrassing situation. But, um, but yeah, I don't know if I'm really qualified to say my opinion is, is correct on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to say yeah, I shouldn't have done it. Um, can you please, uh, this is from Jay Rue, can you please talk about suicide and someone suffering physical pain that cannot be cured or fixed by doctors? Okay, I, I kind of addressed that already. And, and I'll say, um, uh, I've heard people talking about this issue who are suffering deep, deep physical pain. And they're the ones that gave me pause. That took me from a place of just being like, no, you never suicide, never suicide, end of story, end of story. They took me from that place to going, I am now like, I'm not sure if there isn't a scenario where life is truly in that place. And I, and I hate that I'm not sure and I may not be helping you guys to tell you this, but that's my current understanding. I'm not sure if there isn't some scenario where, you know, like divorce is wrong, but there are some scenarios, right? Specific scenarios where it's, it's permissible by God. And that may be the case with suicide, but it's almost doesn't apply to almost anybody who's killing themselves right now. Some 18 year old kid kills himself. Oh, it's, but my psychological pain is so much that I have to. And it's like, dude, if you just wait like four years, you'll be like, life's good. <laughs> and they just don't have the perspective to know this. And so my fear is that my, my waffled, my waffling answer will be misunderstood and misapplied as a justification for um, someone's suicide. Um, yeah. God give us wisdom. Modern Caleb says, uh, what do you think about Samson's suicide in the Bible with the death of the Philistines? I don't really think of it as a suicide. Um, I think of it as like a, a, a war death. I, I just don't, it does, I don't really feel like it is a suicide. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Susan Morales says, can we really clump suicide with all other sins? Isn't it better to say God considers every situation uniquely given his wisdom? I fear people will see it as an option. Um... I'm not sure if I understand the thought process of this question here. Can we really clump it? Um, actually, I would say all sin is sin, but not all sin is the same. I have a video on that that says uh, it's something like, are all sins the same? Uh, or all sins are not the same, I think is the title of the video. Um, no, they're not all the same. And killing is definitely a much worse sin than theft, generally speaking. I mean, you have to steal quite a lot of big things to try to say that that's the same as killing. Um, calling someone a name is not the, is not as bad as stabbing them in the head with a fork, um, right? These are different levels of badness. And so suicide is different and worse than other sins. I do not think it's killing. It, it is killing. I do not think, however, that it is the worst possible sin, um, in my opinion. Unplugged says, again, Mike, would love to hear your take on the stigma of Christians going to hell for suicide. Um, I did share that at the beginning, Unplugged. You might have come in a little bit later. That was the first topic I covered in the video. And so I encourage you to check it out. Um, I think I tried to answer that pretty clearly. Um, and the answer is no, they don't. And that stigma I thought was created by, um, potentially by Catholicism and the whole mortal venial sin thing that is not biblical in the first place. John Engler says, what place does Proverbs 23.7 have in the discussion of mental illness? Is this a band-aid answer or a legitimate factor? Well, let's look up this text. 
Thanks, guys, for joining me today, by the way. This is a challenging topic. But we need more people thinking about it and talking about it in a positive way. Um, so I appreciate that you're here. Proverbs 23.7 says, For he is like one who's inwardly calculating. Is that really the verse you wanted? He's like one who's in inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. I, I, I'm thinking that this wasn't the verse that you wanted. I'm like, 23.7? Is that the one? Because... Proverbs 23.7. I'm double check, double and triple checking it. Yeah. I don't know. 27.3? Nah, that wasn't it either. Oh, well. Um, sorry. I can't help you out there, John. I'm not sure what verse you were speaking of. Uh, Miss T says, Do you think more people following the prosperity gospel commit suicide? Oh, I have no idea. And I, and, and I think it's reckless to just guess at something like that. Um, I think that we, I would encourage you to slow down. It's just slow down. It may be possible, but I'm just going to say slow down. I, I don't want to go to that territory. I don't know. Um, she goes on and says, when someone is suffering the use of scriptures to tell, when someone is suffering the use, maybe it's they, they use scriptures to tell them they are doing something wrong and are being punished. Okay. So you're saying perhaps the prosperity gospel leads to bad feelings and those bad feelings lead to um, suicide. And, and it's, it's possible. I just, I'm concerned about unwarranted blame. Um, and let's see. Why do I think suicide is such a big problem in today's world? I mean, my short answer is people's worldviews are all messed up. Their worldviews are messed up. Their sense of human value is wrong. Their sense of God's, uh, the place of God in their own life is wrong. They're, they're lacking the, the hope that there is in Christ, or they have the hope there is in Christ, but they're not letting it permeate through the rest of the things in their mind. I have hope in Christ, but it's almost like when it comes to my depression, that hope is quarantined and does not affect my depression or something. And th these are some of the reasons, perhaps, why this is happening. Also, it's publicized like crazy. And the more we talk about it, the more people potentially do it. It's one of the dangers of bringing up the topic, to be honest. Uh, we glorify it. We, um, we, we glorify it in some ways without even meaning to. It's not like we're trying to. I, I think it's, it's what happens. Um, Chris Stepp says, uh, Yo, Mike, what's wrong with the logic? Since Christ is our hope and suicide is an act of hopelessness, then by committing suicide is an admission of no hope, which means no Christ. Thanks. Um, I think the logic is flawed in that one act of hopelessness is taken to mean that that person doesn't hope in Christ. And that is most certainly flawed logic. Um, because then translate that to everybody. You do one act of hopelessness, of any kind of hopeless act, and you are therefore not saved. Uh, that's the conclusion there. And I, th I think that kind of thinking is dangerous for us. Let's see. Theology Cafe says, what do you think about the Greek word for witchcraft being pharmakia, which can also mean potions and drugs? Is there any warning we should take from that in terms of medicine? Actually, I've known many people who use drugs who said that they felt that drugs was the open door for the demonic in their life. And I, I think that that actually can happen for sure. Does that mean that all medicine is that open door? And that's where personally I do not agree. And I don't think that the word pharmakia means all medicine is an open door for drugs. I think we're ripping the context, ripping it out of context. Uh, the word pharmakia, it may we may get our word pharmacy for it. It's used in the scripture to talk about witchcraft, but that doesn't mean it's that its use in the scripture is about the pharmacy. And we're we're making a Greek mistake when we say that. So there may be a relation, um, and uh, drug abuse may well open the door to the demonic in a person's life. 
it may well and it sure seems like it in lives of people i've seen but that doesn't mean all drug use opens the door to the demonic for instance um, alcohol abuse can lead to the demonic in my opinion alcohol abuse radical just drunkenness all the time it seems to me that it ha- i've seen it lead be a factor in people's life demonic access to their life but Paul tells Timothy, drink some alcohol, drink some wine, and not just water for the, sense of, for the sake of your stomach. So he's taking it like in a medicinal sense, and it has nothing to do with that. So it's the abuse, not, not just the use. That's the question there. Um, question from Flora says, uh, Mike Winger, what advice would you give to a person who has a friend whose brother committed suicide? He was a Christian but was mentally ill with psychosis. It's hard to know what to say. Thanks. I don't really, I'm not sure that you have to fix her you can just be with her you know do you you know like someone you find out someone's committed suicide a situation like this you go to be with your friend and you feel like you have to talk about it but the question is does she feel like she has to talk about it that's the first question you should ask should i say anything or should i just say hey i'm here to support you i love you want to go get a hamburger Uh, maybe she needs to not talk about it Uh, you know just be open and be sensitive to her needs that would be my question, my, my recommendation. And as far as hope in Christ, yeah, you can absolutely offer this. Yeah, if he's in Christ, he's in Christ, man. He has incredible hope. And the Lord is your hope for your future. And you can give that kind of counsel as well. But um, yeah. Let's see. I have a question um, from Sylvia. The last question for tonight says, Could you address those who believe that suicide is a demon that we just need to bind, rebuke, and cast out? Um, yeah, I think that... Um, um, that this is a this is a one size fits all answer for a complicated um, question, complicated problem. So let, let's say your car. You know, some people they, they treat demons like uh, like the way some people treat. Um, oh, how about water? I'll say this. Here's my analogy for it. <laughs> um, I've had medical problems where I go to the doctor or I tell friends something, and the first thing they ask is, "Hey, Mike, are you are you drinking enough water?" Are you staying hydrated? And I've had that where you tell someone, yeah, no, I'm, I stay well hydrated. And they look at you like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. He's, probably, he's, he's not hydrated enough. And there's some people that are just convinced that no matter what's wrong with you, you're just dehydrated, right? Now, I don't want to overreact because some people, you're dehydrated. Like, you have a headache because you're dehydrated. That's exactly what's wrong with you. You're dealing with these symptoms because you're dehydrated. So it's a real issue, just like de- demonic possession or issue. That It's a real issue. But to say that everything is, is a demonic, you need to cast it out. It, it's like saying, oh man, I broke my leg. Man, well, you need to drink more water. You got to drink more water or, uh, or, or I'm having a heart attack. Like here, have this glass of water. And, it's, and that's the problem is it's this one size fits all thing. Everything's a demon. And in the scripture, everything's not a demon, but some things are. And so I want to have that balanced worldview where I can hopefully look at it. And if someone thinks everyone's a demon and they call that discernment, I'll say that's just proof that you're not using discernment. If you think everything's demonic because everything's not. And uh, so there's my short answer. Um, I hope that that's helpful. You guys, I hope that this has been encouragement to you and a help for you. Expand your understanding of the topic. Um, recognize why some are frustrated at those who commit suicide because they are hurting lots and lots of people. At the same time, realizing that we should have great compassion and hope for those individuals. We should recognize that there may be mental health issues. That's very true. There may also be selfishness and pride. And those things may be affecting you. And there is hope in Christ. And there's direction for us as Christians. And there's help even in worldly medicines 
if they're used with caution and carefully and with a good doctor and not you being someone's guinea pig, that would be my my concern. And I just pray for God to give us wisdom as we handle these issues um, and for our culture to wake up and to hopefully highlight the the harm left in the wake of suicide more than we talk about um, the person who committed suicide as though they were a glorious victim because while they may well have been the victim of many things, this mentality might be hurting people and encouraging more suicides. That's my fear. And I, I want to actually see people get help. So if you're, if you're feeling this suicide stuff and you're about to sign off, um, go to the video description or go to suicide.org and call somebody up and have a, 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 an anonymous call where you just talk and you just pour out not your venting emotions. You pour out an honest accounting of your life and your situation or meet with a pastor. Meet with, you know, there's different pastors you know. Meet with one you respect who has his feet on the ground, who has his mind in the word of God. Meet with that guy. Meet with that spiritual person, whether they're a pastor or not, and you tell them the honest truth about your life, the sin, the fears, the embarrassing, whatever, and get some help. Um, and it will, I think, I think it'll provide some help because my biggest issue in counseling people has just been when they're not honest about what's really going on. Um, as if I'm going to judge him for it. And I just want to help. That's my whole goal. So um, I hope that this has helped. All right. God bless you guys. See you next week.